Hey listeners, before we get into this episode, I have a quick ask to make. I started this podcast as a research project on how to be a top individual contributor in the product design space. My goal for the show was to learn what it takes to be an individual contributor that's doing amazing, impactful work that they love doing day in and day out and getting paid top dollar while they do it. Becoming that type of individual contributor is the ultimate job security. With close to 100 hours of interview recordings, this has naturally led to the creation of the short form video articles that synthesize my learnings into 10 minute listens of actionable content. You might recognize these as my morning walk episodes or the hashtag shorts episodes. To my surprise, those episodes have been very well received and listeners have enjoyed the synthesis of what I've learned. This has led to the next chapter of my research project, which is beginning to synthesize what I've learned into a new newsletter called Thinking Out Loud About Design that you can subscribe to right now for free. Thinking Out Loud About Design is an email newsletter and podcast that basically contains all my synthesis for my long form interviews. It's pure distilled learnings that you can apply to your career immediately. This content is for you if you are a couple years into your career and you're trying to make that move from mid-level to senior designer and senior designer to staff designer. I mainly focus on becoming high-performing individual contributors in the product design industry. A free subscription gives you full access to the newsletter, podcast episodes, and website. You won't have to worry about missing anything because every new edition of the newsletter goes directly into your inbox. So my ask is this. If you have gotten any value out of the way of product design, or if it's helped you in any way or someone you know, please subscribe to Thinking Out Loud About Design and get the distilled learnings on being a staff-level individual contributor. You can find a link to the newsletter in the show notes of every episode of this podcast and on my LinkedIn page. Just look up Caden Damiano. Thanks again for listening and supporting the way of product design. I wouldn't be doing this if you guys weren't listening. Now, on to the show. Welcome to the way of product design. I'm Caden Damiano. We know design is valuable, but how can you unlock its true value and tie your design work to business impact? This show interviews product designers, product managers, and tech leads from places like Google, Domo, Divi, IBM, Intuit, and Uber to find out what makes a valuable product designer and how you can be one as well. Hey listeners, I'm uh, branching off uh, the beaten path today. Uh, A lot of the guests I talk to are in the digital product space. And uh, more and more, the the overlap between physical product design and uh, digital product design is being uh, blended because of the internet of things and stuff like that. So I always like to broaden my horizons. Um, That let path has led me to meeting Aaron Moncourt. Did I pronounce that right? Perfect. You got yeah. it. Awesome. I, I'm just a man of the world. I just know how to pronounce <laughs> things first try. <laughs> um, yeah, I, met, I met Aaron um, just uh, through LinkedIn. We just like talking about product design. He has an awesome uh, podcast, but you know, I'll let him uh, talk about all his uh, great accomplishments and all the work that he's doing in the physical product design space. Um, Aaron, can you just quickly introduce yourself to the listener uh, before we get started? You bet, you bet. Yeah, so um, 
I started my company, Pipeline Design and Engineering, a little over 10 years ago. We have nothing to do with pipelines or oil. Um, I grew up in Hawaii surfing, and Pipeline is a very famous beach on the north shore of Oahu. And so the company is is uh, named after that beach. It's just a throwback to my days surfing in Hawaii. We started the company doing general product design, so it may have been uh, an iPhone case or a medical device or some piece of uh, equipment. Uh, and about five years ago, um, we did a, a test fixture for one of our medical device companies, our customers, and they really liked it. And they said, "Hey, we need more of this kind of thing. Can you can you start doing you know equipment and um, test fixtures and inspection rigs and things like that?" And we said, "Sure." And that has kind of uh, snowballed into what are the majority of our focus is these days, which is developing custom test fixtures and automated equipment for medical device engineering teams. We still do the general product development, product design. Um, it's maybe, I don't know, 20, 25% general product design and, and uh, maybe 75%, 80% uh, the uh, machine design, equipment design. Okay, cool. So, um, like what... What got you into physical product design and engineering? Like, what, what what was your path? What made you want to do it? What inspired you to do it? Yeah, like like a lot of engineers. So I'm a mechanical engineer, and like a lot of mechanical engineers, I grew up uh, building things. Legos was a big part of my childhood. Uh, I like to you know uh, work on my bike. Um, uh, I was fairly mechanically inclined from a young age, and so it just it felt like a good fit for me. I remember when I was probably oh eight or ten years old, I had this Michael Jackson cassette tape, right, which dates me a little bit. And I loved this Michael Jackson cassette tape. And as an eight-year-old kid, I had this unfounded worry that someone was going to take my Michael Jackson tape. And so I put together this elaborate alarm system that when someone lifted the cassette tape out of its cradle, it would make a big gong and this alarm would sound. And it was kind of a Rube Goldberg thing, you know, with yarn and tape and paper clips and things like that. Um, but I was always into uh, that kind of thing, you know, mechanical stuff from a, a young age. Um, when I was a senior in high school, I was at the dinner table with my family and my dad says to me, what are you going to do in college next year? You know, you're graduating high school, you're moving on to college, what, what's the plan here? And I had no plan at all. Uh, I was much more concerned with uh, getting to the beach back then than thinking about my future. And luckily my, my dad knew me pretty well and he suggested engineering. And I said, okay, sounds good. And that was about all the thought I gave it. Uh, luckily, he does know me quite well, and it turned out to be a great fit for me. Cool. So, like mechanical engineering, is that like the main path um, into like the physical product design space? Because like mechanical engineering covers a lot more than just like consumer products, right? Like, how did you kind of find like your focus? Because you know, there's also like the industrial design path, where it's more of the like the architect type people you know going down that path to get into product design and stuff like that like how did you decide like I want to focus in on like actual like products that are sold instead of like large mechanical equipment and like uh, facility like large like mechanical fixtures and like uh, manufacturing facilities or you know stuff like that well I think I got lucky um, 
I was kind of naive back then. Uh, maybe I still am, but certainly back then I didn't really understand the landscape for engineering and for product design. I didn't even, I wasn't aware of the term product design back then. I knew engineering, uh, but going to school, I didn't really know. I knew I liked the classes I was taking. I knew that I was mechanically inclined, uh, you know, like math, like science, and so I felt like the major was a good fit for me, but I didn't really know what I was going to do after I graduated. Uh, in fact, I remember my senior year, maybe it was my junior year uh, in, uh, in college, a company flew me out to, where was it? It was like Wisconsin or Wyoming or somewhere not very interesting. And they, they interviewed me for a position there to design uh, wire harnesses for automobiles. And I thought to myself, wow, this, this is such a boring job. Like who would want to do this? You know, it's just so dull routing wires back and forth in, in a vehicle and figuring out how to wrap them and bundle them. And it was not interesting at all. So I got back from that trip and I thought, huh, what, what is it that I am gonna do with this degree? And a friend of mine was really interested in biomedical engineering, and I hadn't really heard of it before. And so I asked him a little bit, what is this biomedical engineering? What are you doing there? And he told me a little bit about that, and I thought, that sounds really cool. You know, he talked about designing new products, you know, catheters and laparoscopic instruments and surgical tools and, and things like that. And I thought, wow, I like that a lot. That sounds really interesting. So I ended up doing a graduate degree in bioengineering. My undergraduate is mechanical engineering. And uh, through that, I was introduced to a company uh, locally here in Arizona that, that does product development. And uh, they, they were kind enough to hire me. And that's how I got my start in, in product design and product development. Cool, so you, instead of actually like engineering kind of like the grunt work you'd rather design the car right like you'd rather like do plan plan the overall engineering of the car rather than the how the wires are going to fit yeah yeah i would say so and uh, i mean wire harnesses that's just one example um i'm not sure how to like categorize that but um, i i want to be the one working out the mechanism so it, it's not just designing the car it's not just designing the form factor that's really more industrial uh designers space mm -hmm. um i i definitely i like that area and in fact when i started my company part of the reason i did it was because i i, I didn't want to just do like the the hardcore mechanical stuff i, I really liked the artistic side of design as well and, and i wanted more of an opportunity to do that but at the end of the day um I, I'm, I'm a mechanical guy not a industrial designer and I wanted to be the guy who was designing the mechanisms, doing the mechanical layout, making sure you know the clamshell fit together and the PCB had a nice nesting area to go into and uh, the, the right springs were being used and all, all those things. That was what was really interesting to me. That's interesting. So where is the overlap between like a industrial designer, and I'm guessing industrial designers do in that industry do they do they focus more on the form factor are they not solving those kind of design problems where like the parts fit together and stuff or is that more of a collaboration between you and the industrial designer i think what's really cool about this space and probably more than just you know our engineering design space but uh 
you can go to school to become an industrial designer and you will have a pretty tight focus, right? You, you want to understand ergonomics, you want to understand form, you want to understand uh, aesthetics and cosmetics. Um, or you can go to school to become a mechanical engineer and you're going to learn thermodynamics and fluid dynamics and calculus and uh, you know stress strain equations, things like that. But once you get into industry, it's really I won't say it's entirely up to you, but uh, if you want, you can kind of chart your own path and you can you can bleed over the lines, so to speak. So just because you have a, a degree in mechanical engineering doesn't mean you can't design a path for yourself to get more into the industrial design side of things. And just because you have a degree in industrial design doesn't mean you can't learn a little bit of mechanical engineering. Um, we have a, a, an industrial designer on our team, Craig, who's very mechanically inclined and, and he does a lot more than just make things look pretty. He makes them functional as well. He has enough of an understanding for mechanics to work out some simple me uh, mechanisms on his own. And uh, for, for something like a consumer product, you know, some kind of plastic injection molded clamshell housing, something like that, he can take it all the way, all by himself. He doesn't need a mechanical engineer to come in and, and do, you know, the, the, the mechanical things for him. So um, uh, it, it's, I think it's kind of up to the individual as far as where they want to go with their career. And you don't have to be stuck with just what you learn in school. That's a starting point. Yeah, that's super interesting because, like, yeah, personally, like, my style is I really like approaching engineering from the design perspective, but from more of a, of a software engineering standpoint, hopefully more projects that involve kind of the, the like, the emerging, like, the merging of, like, physical and, like, uh, digital, like, UX. Um, but, yeah, it's like I had to design that, like getting more involved in engineering conversations and bringing the design perspective to those conversations instead of just like I don't want it to just work. I want it to like hum, you know, like I want it to really perform yeah, well. Right. Like I don't want it to just like work. I want it to perform fast. I want it to perform asynchronously. You know, it's like you're actually like striving towards like performance outcomes, which really um, – is pushed from a design perspective because like how do you know what performance outcomes to push if you don't know how people like what the customer wants right and um you know there are engineers that come across the aisle and from that perspective like they are they do they are concerned what the customer wants and stuff and that they're willing to do the the research to inform the engineering design decisions and the mechanical design decisions but like that's really interesting. Now, I have a question for you then. You know, you own your own company. Um, like, then how, how, do, how do you hire then? Like, do you, because is it like, do you just usually look for like generalist mechanical engineers or do you actually evaluate that in candidates? Like, oh, this person looks like they, they're kind of a, they, a generalist. Like, they do it both ways. We need that in a project with someone that could take it end to end. Or, oh, well, we need someone that really just focuses in on the mechanical engineering so that he could be a shared resource or she could be a shared resource on another project. Like, how, how do you view that then? If, like, talent's so diverse, like you said, like, it's so malleable in your industry, how do you build teams? Sure. Um, most of our work is mechanical design work. We do some industrial design. So um, just looking at you know the split of the type of work we do, probably 
90% of what we do, maybe even 95% of what we do is, is much more mechanical than it is cosmetic. So right there, it, it's clear that we need mostly mechanical engineers. And, and in fact, 90% of our team is mechanical engineers. Um, so it's it's not too difficult to, to determine like what type of person we need. What is more difficult is, is finding those people and finding the ones that are actually a good fit for the team. They're, they agree with the culture, things like that. Um, does that answer your question, or was there something more than that you're looking for? Oh yeah, well I'm just I'm just curious because like I've been thinking a lot recently about talent and stuff like that, um, and there's like a strategy that um, I've been discussing with people on the podcast, uh, moving against the the generalist job description. Like we need a mechanical engineer. Hmm. And it's like, well, we need someone that could focus in on these aspects of the job. Like, this is these are the kind of projects this person would be working on. Um, like, we're not looking for someone that does, like, wiring housing, right? We want someone that could think systematically how the whole, like, product will work together. Like, the you as the hiring manager needs to be very specific in the job description on, like, what you want that person to do like what's your vision for this new hire right and some people are like oh you know like hey problem solving is problem solving and like you know you can just pick like generalist designers our designers are just pick generalist engineers but i found in my experience that not all engineers are created equal some engineers just want to be told what to do other engineers are more creative technologists right sure like there's a difference right well, I, I think the great thing about mechanical engineering is it is kind of a generalist engineering degree. Mostly you're focused on mechanical, but you have exposure to electrical engineering, civil engineering, uh, chemical engineering. So you get exposure to all these, these different areas. And when you graduate, you have a, a pretty solid base of, of knowledge to build on. Um, so when you hire a mechanical engineer, they're pretty versatile people, you know, they, mm. if they don't specifically know how to do something. One thing that we learn in, in school as engineers is, is how to learn. Uh, I think that was probably one of the more important things that I picked up in, in university was how to learn. And uh, so a degree in mechanical engineering, you're, uh, you're, you're pretty versatile. If you don't know how to do something, you can figure out how to do it. Cool. So like that's more of, would you, would you say that's like the ethos? Of that profession is that it is kind of uh, adaptabilities hammered in. I like to think of mechanical engineers as professional problem solvers. So throw your problem at us and, and we'll figure out a way to get it done. Hmm. Okay. Tell me about like a recent project. You talked about um, like a Nintendo Switch mount to a controller. Like, how did that engagement happen? How did you guys approach the problem? Um, and because I'm just curious to see, like, what the process is, like, of, of sure. an engagement, right? Yeah, so um, we we knew a company. We'd done some work for a company. And one of the engineers who was working at that company ended up inventing this really cool... Uh, holder. It, it's kind of a coupler between the Nintendo Switch Pro Controller and the Nintendo Switch itself. Um, so 
it would grab on this uh, device, this product that he invented would grab onto the switch. Um, and, and then it had this arm that kind of extended down and grabbed onto the, the pro controller so that you could hold the pro controller and not have to hold the switch by hand. And it would just be suspended in air, you know, a few inches above the controller so you could play, play the game um, uh, with a, a comfortable viewing angle, not have to prop up that, that switch, you know, against a book on a table or something like that. And since we knew him, because we'd done work for the company at which he worked, he, he reached out to us and he said, hey, I invented this thing. I've got an investor. Um, I've built a prototype. Uh, the prototype works great. It was, it was 3D printed. He was just 3D printing these. Um, and he said, I, I need to uh, update, update the design with design for manufacturability involved. In other words, right now I'm 3D printing this. We need to produce it in, in high volume, which means um, plastic injection molding. And I, I need you to take my design, which was never intended to be injection molded, and update it so that it can be injection molded. And at the same time, if you can add some styling to it and things like that, maybe we pick out some different friction hinges, that would be great too. So that's how it started. And um, we actually put our industrial designer on this because he's, he's very capable of, of something like this. And uh, he, uh, he styled it, you know, he made it look nice. And we did some 3D printing prototypes ourselves. We ended up uh, working with a company in China to manufacture some custom friction hinges just for this, this product, uh, which is called the, the Fixture S1 is the name of it. Um, and uh, we worked, we, we had, we have uh, factories in China that we work with. And so we pulled one of those factories in and, and sent them our data package and said, you know, give us a quote and uh, help, help the, um, our customer go through production, getting first, uh, first articles and reviewing those. Um, and then he's selling them right now. So that's, uh, that's kind of how that one went. That's cool. So, like, was it up to the industrial designer to define, like, what a comfortable viewing angle is? Like, how do you guys test test that out, like, the ergonomics and stuff? And Yeah, it, it was collaborative for sure. And, I mean, part of it is just, like, standing there with the pro controller and having someone else hold the switch and move it up and move it down and tilt the angle back and forth and saying, how, how does this look and how does this feel? And eventually we settled on uh, an, uh, a range that we liked and then we just reverse engineered that range into uh, a physical product cool yeah that that's cool that in the the digital product design space that's called like a wizard of oz prototype where it's a human supported oh yeah okay yeah you know it's like obviously someone like someone's pulling the levers to yeah, test out right yeah, and Man then behind the curtain. do you guys test it out with um, like real customers as well? Like once you make, make a like a the initial like m concept that you're going to use to like mass manufacture, do you like test it with like real people or like your kids or 
Yeah, de depending on the project, uh, we'll get more or less sophisticated. But for this one, we weren't super sophisticated. We all tested it ourselves. The inventor, he was a big, uh, is a big gamer himself, so he yeah. did a lot of testing. And then it's funny you mentioned my kid. My my son is really into the Switch. He loves playing Fortnite on it. And so sure. I gave I gave him one of the prototypes, and he loved it. And uh, oh, cool. He he was yeah one of our biggest fans, and his friends would come over and be like, Hey, where can I get one of these? <laughs> So that was kind of fun, but uh, yeah, we yeah. had some some uh, user testing in that sense. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That that's always interesting to me because you know this is such a new uh, world for me, understanding like the physical uh, design space. Like it, obviously, there's you have to have relationships with like manufacturers. You have to understand like the materials that you need to use like what kind of plastic you use like isn't there like a bunch of different types of plastic like i read the james dyson um autobiography autobiography and uh, he always like talks about because he's a he was an industrial designer and he's always talking about like what kind of polymer he was going to use and stuff like is that yeah the case? yeah there's tons of different types of plastic I have a funny story about that. When I was first married, maybe just a year or two into uh, when my wife and I got married, um, we were walking down the street, just taking a, a walk after dinner, and I was looking at my phone case, and I was kind of studying it, and I do this a lot. I'm always looking at physical things and trying to understand how they were made. I think it's really interesting. Mm. I, lo I love manufacturing. And so I'm studying this case, and my wife looks at me, and she says, what are you doing? And I, I said, I'm trying to figure out what material this case is made out of. And she looks at me like I am the, the biggest idiot in the world and said, it's plastic. <laughs> and, and I'm like, okay, but there are hundreds of types of plastic. And she was blown away. She had no idea that there were all these different types of plastic. So it's like a running joke now. We look at each other sometimes and just, it's plastic. Um, but yeah, you're right. There are, there are lots of types of plastic. There are probably just a, a handful that are really commonly used like ABS is a really popular choice. Um, ABS PC, the PC standing for polycarbonate. That's a blend of ABS and polycarbonate. Polycarbonate by itself is a really common material. Nylon, um, UHMW, Delrin. So they're, they're, you know, probably, I don't know, a dozen or so really common plastics used for product design. Yeah, and so how do you go about... Like, is there any like problem solving frameworks that you guys use to decide like what the constraints are and like what the use cases are to start kind of making like recommendations for what kind of materials you need to use? Not so much for materials. Um, usually, like I said, there's just a small handful of materials to choose from. And for example, if, if you're going to use something in a wet environment, you would not want to use nylon because it will absorb moisture and actually grow in size very slightly, but it will grow in size over time. Uh, so you, if it was going to be in a wet environment, you, you probably would not want to use nylon. Um, so uh, the, the, and I don't want to say that material selection is always simple. It, it's not always simple, but oftentimes it's, you know, it's fairly clear what, what kind of material to use. Um, in terms of processes, just the design process in general, uh, one of the biggest things, especially as you get into uh, working in teams and not just as an individual, but even as an individual, it, it's so critical to uh, put together requirements uh, like a, a product requirements document and have 
specifically listed out what is it that this product is supposed to do. Um, I can tell you from personal experience, unfortunately, that uh, even if you think it's clear what the product is going to do, your customer might have a slightly different idea of, of what the product is going to do. In fact, uh, early on uh, when I started Pipeline, I had this project to develop uh, an iPad case. And the, uh, the customer told me that uh, they wanted to be able to use it in the kitchen. So uh, it, it should you know, be kind of splash proof and, and prevent uh, any gross water ingress. And so I said, okay, that makes sense. And I developed this, this case and uh, I, I gave her a prototype. And she said, okay, great. I'm gonna go put it underwater and see how, how deep it'll go before it starts leaking. And I said, no, 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 don't, don't do that. It's not, it's not intended to be waterproof. And she said, well, what do you mean? I thought we talked about that. And I said, well, no, <laughs> we didn't. She thought we had, and I, I didn't recall that conversation, but there was no like formal document that said, this product must do this thing and that thing and that thing. Um, so putting together a formal requirements document is, I think, really, really important. And it's so easy not to do, partly because you get excited about jumping into the design, right? And you just kind of skip by, by that. But then also partly because it's so easy at first to assume that everyone on the team understands exactly what it is we're trying to accomplish when there are subtle nuances between you know people's understanding of things. So. Um, putting that formal requirements document together, written down, and having everyone buy off on it, that's uh, a super important part to the beginning of every project. Does your team like to be involved in like the process leading to the creation of that document, or do you just like to have the document like written and given handed off to you guys? Like, Do you like to influence what goes in that requirements document, like going through the process and making sure that like there's reason? like well-reasoned logic behind the requirements? We do, yeah, we do. You know, sometimes we'll get a customer who says, okay, here are the requirements, it has to do these things. And we might dig into that a little bit and say, well, why does it have to do these things? And we might find that the customer has made an erroneous assumption that led to a requirement. And, and once we understand the why behind that requirement, we might say, okay, we, we understand what you're trying to do. Thank you for explaining that. This particular requirement probably is not the best way of accomplishing that why. So we, we definitely like to be involved in that process. Cool, have you ever had um Like I know you get involved and you've specialized in like mechanical, like medical device testing, right? Is it medical device testing or just testing of any kind of? Most of what we do is for the medical space, but we do equipment yeah. for, you know, all industries. Okay, cool. So that's more of just like a niche business decision. Like you want to be the best at that because it's it good for business, right? That's right. Um, have you ever thought about um, working on like Internet of Things type technology, like working on hardware, like electrical engineering type stuff before as a team? Have you ever worked on stuff like that? No, we have not. Um, it's not part of the roadmap. Uh, one thing that I've learned is, is you can be very intentional about the direction of your company, and I think you should be. Mm -hmm. I think you should also be open to where the market organically steers you. For example, we started off Pipeline um, just focusing on general product design, but uh, five, six years into it, 
the market started directing us towards this, you know, test fixtures and automated equipment. And that's probably something that we never would have identified on our own. Uh, but uh, our customers wanted it and we saw that there was a market for it. And so based on that, we, we made a strategic decision to, um, to, to make that the focus of our company. Cool. So that was just an example of, you know, like the business is for like the customer, like it isn't to like fulfill your, this is more of like a work-life balance question. Like you go into it thinking you start out general because you just want to solve problems. Right. But at the end of Mm -hmm. the day, you know, it's, it is just a job and you're like, okay, well I want a job that generates a lot of (laughs) money so I could provide for my family and stuff, right? Sure, yeah, you need to make a profit, this damn business. Yeah, so I mean, like, say, that's that that's a really great example of um, really being like, well, hey, we gotta make, we gotta be in business. I like solving problems, uh, but it isn't like my identity as a professional, like, or as a person, right? Like, you, you probably like spending time with your family. So, I mean, sure. But at the same time, like medical device fixtures is very specific, right? How do you, um, do you do anything outside of work to um, exercise kind of like your curiosities? Like, is there anything that you like to learn about outside of like your professional, like uh, framework that you've built for yourself? All right, I have a couple points to address. So the the first one is I I wanna make sure that I've been clear that I don't feel like it's a compromise at all that we've Uh gone into this equipment design. I really like it. I mean, mechanisms and motion control and automation and all that stuff, I find these things really cool and interesting just inherently. Um, so that's one point. And then to address your, your question about like what, what, what do I do to, to scratch that creative itch? Um, I interviewed a guy on my podcast. He, he uh, sold his company for, oh, what was it? A lot of money, you know, <laughs> tens of millions of dollars. And I asked him, you know, what, do, you, do you get bored of doing what you do? Do you ever wake up and think to yourself, I think I'm kind of done with this. I want to go try something else. And he said, you know, I don't really have many interests outside of work. I really love my work. And mm. that was very reassuring to me because I feel the same way. And sometimes mm. I feel guilty about not having other hobbies, you know, like, I don't know, playing the guitar or, or bird watching or whatever. I really like my job and the fact that I'm the owner of the company allows me to explore, you know, kind of whatever I want. Um, A good example of that is uh, it turns out that Costa Rica is becoming a hotbed for, well has for some time, is a hotbed for medical device manufacturing and I didn't know that uh, before. Um, So recently I learned that and I have Uh, I have had several conversations with contract manufacturers down in Costa Rica just to learn more about what they do. Not because there's any specific goal I'm trying to reach right now, but I think to myself, I've been to Costa Rica. I like Costa Rica. I would like to be there more often. Hmm. Uh, There is this like medical device manufacturing hotspot going on there. Maybe there's something I I can do to like join these worlds together, you know? And uh, just having the opportunity to explore different ideas, um, that's really fun for me. I, I, love, I love putting together systems and, and strategies for doing things. And as a, a business owner, I mean, that's really what I get to do every day. Um, I don't do that much actual design work myself these days, 
my team does that, and and uh, I I focus a lot on um, just how do we communicate better. Uh, what 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 processes should we be using? How can we make product design more efficient within our company? So there there are all sorts of things that I get to be creative about and think about in in my role. That's really cool. So I mean, like your your creative endeavor is the business. You, you it spend really your time is. growing the yeah. business, and I and you know that you bring up a really good point on like. On the outside, medical device fixtures doesn't sound sexy, but it is. It sounds like it isn't just like good business for you to focus in on that. It's also like a problem that you are obsessed with a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely, I think it's fascinating. It's, it's yeah. a big puzzle that you have to figure out, you know. Um, and it's perfect for me and my team because we're all mechanical guys. We we like mechanical things, and it's it's figuring out how do we. How do we, you know, move this lever in just such a way, but prevent this, you know, unintended motion at the same time? And uh, it's uh, you ever watch the show House? It's over now, but you know what House? I've seen a couple talking episodes. about. Yeah, it's maybe before your time a little bit. But uh, <laughs> he's a pathologist, and someone asked him on the show, "You like, why do you do this? Why do you, you know, you must, you must love people. You must love helping people." And he's like, "I don't care about people. I like solving puzzles. That's why I do this. It's a, it's a challenging." puzzle to, to put together. And I won't go so far as to say I don't care about people, but um, at the end of the day, the, the job is fun because it's a puzzle that I get to solve. Yeah, it's not, it's less about the concern, but I'm sure there's like really bad consequences if like there isn't testing equipment out there, right? So there's like, you want to make sure that it's really good performing equipment because people could potentially die. Absolutely. If you yeah. don't have good testing equipment and so. Yep. Absolutely, that's right. Um, there's there's definitely a satisfaction in what we do because we know that down the line this is going to uh, ensure a medical device works properly, and that medical device is going to help save somebody's life. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a really good example of uh, vision, right? Um, one insight from my podcast is that you really shouldn't go into business. Like, you know, if you want to own a business, you shouldn't go into business business unless you have something that you're obsessed with. Like, and for you, it's the the solving of problems, like the, yeah. the methodical uh, deconstruction of uh, mechanical problems and like manufacturing and like solving that puzzle. And, and then you also get to go kind of above the craft now and actually think like strategically like, oh, like how could we get more involved in like Costa Rica and uh, how could we solve the problem while having a good excuse to expense flights to <laughs> Costa Rica, which is, that's, that's like the fun creative aspect of life, yeah, right? Like absolutely. you get to, absolutely. You, you get to kind of curate how you live your career and that's really yeah. cool. There's a, a professor at, at um, uh, Harvard Business School, uh, Clayton Christensen. He's, he's uh, written he rest, a lot of books. May he rest yeah. in peace. Did yeah. he pass away? Yeah, dude, he passed away. Oh, I didn't know that. Just okay. re- last year, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, what a, what a loss. Um, but he wrote man. a book called, um, yeah, 2020. Jeez, what a, what a crazy year. How Will You Measure Your Life? And um, uh, did we talk about this before? Not on the podcast, so go ahead. Okay, it must have been someone else I talked about. Uh, but anyway, he wrote this book, How Will You Measure Your Life? And one of the stories he tells is of himself as a younger consultant with, uh, I think it was McDonald's. 
and McDonald's hired him to help them sell more milkshakes <laughs> because the world needs to drink more milkshakes, right? Anyway, he took this job and uh, the way he framed it, I thought was so interesting. He framed it like this. He said, what is the job that people are hiring milkshakes to do for them? And that allowed him to you know, think more strategically and, and get a clear understanding of, of the, the problem and then how to solve the problem. And I've thought about that a lot. And, and so I, I think to myself, what is the job that I have hired my job to do? You know, like, what do I really want to get out of this at the end of the day? And uh, I've encouraged my team to ask themselves the same question. What do you want from your role working here at Pipeline? Like, not just uh, from a professional standpoint, but from a personal standpoint, what are you trying to get out of this? I think that's a really important question for, for everyone to ask themselves, and it's probably not an answer that's going to come quickly. It might take years of reflecting and thinking about that before you start to get a clear picture of what exactly it is you want from your life and then how you can achieve that through, uh, through your, your professional career. Yeah, well, that's, that's a great thing to aspire to is um, curating your life to fit kind of like what you want to fulfill you want to fulfill personally. Yeah, um, exactly. And, uh, you know, for you, like, what was like the biggest like setback in your life and your career that, um, taught you that lesson? Like, was it, was it like trying to get a job at like a, like a doolittle or something like that? And being like, Oh wait, this isn't what I want. Like, is there a setback that you're, you're glad that happened that kind of taught you that lesson? There is. There is. Yeah. So in 2009, right, this is kind of towards the tail end of the, the Great Recession. The company I was working for at that time as a mechanical design engineer, um, they uh, they were getting slow and they they uh, laid me off. And at the time I was I felt physically ill. I remember, right. I got laid off. I had to go home and tell my wife that I I was losing my job and I just, I felt sick. I felt physically ill for several days, I remember. Um, and it caused me to think a lot about what I wanted to do because they didn't just lay me off because I uh, because they were slow and they didn't have the work to support it. Uh, they they uh, recognized that I was not fully engaged in what I was doing. And, and they were right. I um, I had become just not real motivated, uh, and and uh, so it, I think it, they made the right decision to to you know ch choose me as one of the people that they let go at that time. But it, it caused me to think: Have I just lost my my desire for product design, for mechanical engineering? And I started exploring completely different things. I looked into web design. I actually started a photography company with a friend of mine and we ran that for several years. Um, uh, commercial real estate, being a broker. I looked into just really different things and ultimately my, my father-in-law pulled me aside and he said, you know, if you want to do these other things, that's, that's fine. But before you go whole hog on something else, consider that you spent six years getting two degrees in engineering and you have you know three or four years working experience do you really want to just walk away from all of that or is there a way that you could do engineering that that you would really love doing and uh turns out he was right and so instead of you know going down some completely different route 
I, I started my company and I knew some people in the industry already since I've been working there. So I reached out and said, hey, I'm doing some freelance work. Is there anything that I can help with? And I got uh, a couple little jobs. And very quickly, I realized that I still loved engineering. Um, what, what I was able to do in my own company that I, I hadn't really had the opportunity to do in the other company was own the entire process, right? Previously, when I was an employee, I was told, do this, and then do that, and then we'll talk. And so I, I had a very narrow, uh, a very short leash, so to speak. Um, and when it was all up to me, right, it, I had to be the one that figured out, do this and do that. And I had to take ownership of the entire process of developing this, not just a small portion. And I, I, I learned that I loved um, having that high level ownership. I, instead of being a cog in the machine, I could be the machine. And that was really transformational for me. So I look back and on that time when I got laid off and I see it as, you know, arguably one of the most, um, one of the best things that has ever happened in my life. Wow. That's really awesome. Like it, because that is the realization, right? Like if you're bored at work, you think it's you, right? Like maybe I'm just not cut out for this profession, yeah. but there's a reason you got in there. And I think yeah. it was just, it's the vehicle you're on that's not engaging you. There you, you know, go. you're on a bus and you wanted to like be on a, in a Ferrari. And I think it's like, if you're not engaged with what you're doing, maybe you just need to reevaluate evaluate the vehicle you're, you're, you're living your career through, right? Exactly. And that's a yeah. really great insight. Yeah. So, um, Aaron, like where can people get a hold of you, um, and like learn more about you and the work you're doing? I'm sure it's not just about, you know, engineering. I'm sure you, your podcast is really great to talk, have conversations like this, you know, like these lessons that you've learned in the, as a professional. Right. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for asking. Um, you can, uh, find us. We have, we have two websites. It's a little bit confusing. We have designtheproduct.com, and that's uh, that kind of focuses on our general product design. And then we also have testfixturedesign.com, which of course focuses on the test fixtures and equipment and things like that. And then we also produce a podcast. It's called Being an Engineer, and that's on all the major podcast publishing platforms. Um, you know, Apple Podcast and Google Podcast and uh, all of those. And then finally, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm, uh, I'm pretty active there. I respond to, um, to inquiries and people trying to get a hold of me. Uh, Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, Monker, M-O-N-C-U-R. And uh, yeah, any, any one of those, you can get a hold of me. Well, Aaron, thanks for coming on the show. I really love uh, getting your, uh, your perspective on something I've been fascinated with. Um, definitely... Uh, didn't get a chance to really explore it um, and just love your perspective and knowledge and you have just a really great story really uh, really inspiring stuff um, and just keep keep up the good work thank you so much I really appreciate you having me on hey listeners thanks again for listening to another episode of the way of product design if this episode resonated with you Please share it with your network and write a couple lines on why you found it useful. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help the show grow, please leave a review on Apple or Google's podcast platforms. As always, 
Thanks for listening. You have a good one.